If you love what you hear, check out our authors Andrea Stewart and N.A. Fulton on Amazon.com, and be sure to subscribe to our Dark Romance Novels and Stories podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast provider. Learn more about us at audioiron.com. A Woman's Honor, a dark historical romance novel by Andrea Stewart. Chapter 4 The next day the Duke ascended Eleanor's tower to find her seated on the bare floor surrounded by four little girls wielding feathers in a sea of black ink. She was making them write the first five characters of the alphabet over and over again. Mary had started on her name. Why teach them to write? He asked. It is all part of my plan to torment you. She replied. I am sure it is. Somehow I am certain it will annoy me greatly. She did not let herself smile. Why have you come? I have some cloth that might be used to make clothes for you, if dressing in rags is no longer part of your plan. You want me to look more like a wife, you mean? She said. If it suits you. Perhaps some plain cloth? I would like to make dresses for myself and my friends. She gestured at the children. We have a seamstress. The girls and I can make what we need. The children were listening now. Suit yourself. He said, stepping back onto the ladder. As I always will. Eleanor replied firmly. Not long after the Duke's visit a chest arrived in Eleanor's tower room. It was filled with several bright silks along with some dark wool and linen broadcloth. The girls held their breath as she unfolded the fabric and laid it out on her bed. At the bottom of the trunk she found silk thread, needles, and sharp blades for cutting. It was hard to see the little girl so excited and overawed at something she felt nothing for. Though her father's estate was not overwealthy, Eleanor had more than her share of fine gowns. It was a byproduct of having so many doting brothers as well as loving parents. These children had nothing. Would likely never have anything so fine, even if they survived the winter which she had every reason to doubt. Eleanor knew as she and the girls embarked on the process of making the gowns that they would not be very well made, but what did such things matter in times like these? They all worked late into the night with diligence she had never seen in children, and by morning there were five dresses finished. Eleanor was hemming one of the three simple gowns she had made for herself when the Duke and Alan came up the ladder into her room. The Duke appeared to be caught between fury and amusement. You knew I meant that cloth for you alone? Surely not. I am in mourning. As you may have heard, my brother died recently. And, convent-bound as you say I am, I have no use for fine clothes. Those girls surely have no need of such things. They were wearing rags. And they will remember those gowns for a lifetime. And they will share them with their sisters in times to come. They will be much mended and much loved. I would never think of any gown made here so kindly. Eleanor looked up to find Alan trying to hide a smile. That silk came from Constantinople. It was worth a fortune. If you have more perhaps you can sell it to feed your people as I would. Or cut it to clothe your children as I did. Are you not Duke of an entire estate? Do you not own every blade of grass and rabbit? Surely you do not really treasure a few bolts of cloth. She stood up. I cannot find it in myself to care for such things. 
The Duke said nothing for a long time, apparently stunned. Eventually he asked. Do you buy the loyalty of your people with such gestures? Eleanor laughed. Can one buy the loyalty of your subjects with a few pretty gowns? The Duke shook his head, as if to brush away her words, then looked at her again. Do you want to see how much trouble you can make for me at dinner tonight? You should see the havoc those dresses are creating. Eleanor laughed and laughed until the tears rolled down her face. In short order her amusement faded into sobs. She covered her face to blot out the Duke's surprise. He must think her mad. She missed Eric so much, and her father too. They would have enjoyed this farce as much as she. Eric was lying with the worms and her father was a broken man. Nothing would ever be the same. And now she parlayed with her brother's killer because this was the way of the world and she had to live in it. When she looked up, the duke and his guard were gone. The children have gone to bed. Said the duke when she appeared before the fire in the great hall. It was past midnight. Alan had gone to his bed, and James was sleeping a few feet away. Many slept in the great hall, now that the winter was coming on, so they were by no means alone. I feared as much. It seems Mary has deserted me. Said Eleanor. Her mother fears you have too much influence. The gown was the last straw. Mary refuses to take it off and says you call her Lady Mary. Eleanor felt her heart sink a little, then nodded her head. I see. She will sleep with her mother from now on, but will wait on you during the day. And the other girls? Once they have tended to their chores they may come to you. Teach them all to write for all I care, and how to do sums. It seems strange to make them learn things they will never need to know, but what harm can it do? And it keeps them out from underfoot. Eleanor didn't answer the Duke. If he thought well-schooled children were trouble-free he should spend a day or two at her father's keep where every instruction was debated before it was carried out. Perhaps in a decade or two she would have her revenge. Pity she would not be here to see it. She saw the chessboard before him and knelt to finger the pieces. They were crudely made, as was most of the furniture. Too much time at war meant too little time to craft comforts. Do you play? The Duke asked. Eleanor nodded. She once had a father and four brothers with whom she played the game continuously. Well enough to vex me? Shall we find out? He began setting up his pieces for a fresh game and she sat down on the floor to arrange her own. She, having taken white, advanced her pawn two spaces forward from her king. Are we allowed to be seen so? Will not someone think that you have bedded me by morning? No one who knows either of us. He replied. He matched her pawn. We have two dozen witnesses who would wake if we were to amuse ourselves. I suppose that is so. Tell me. He said as the game progressed. What do the vermin in your family do of a night? Cut the legs off spiders? Pull the wings off flies? Eleanor moved a piece that made him choose between a bishop and his queen. Yes. She replied and we torture small dogs. After the duke favored his queen, she took his bishop. What do your men do of an evening? Discuss all the rapes and murders they have committed? Yes, and a lifetime in the king's service gives them a great deal to talk about. He replied, shifting his body so he could lean over the board. There sounds nothing so holy about the holy land. She replied. I agree. He said. There is nothing holy at all. It's a pity that you did not die there. King Henry wouldn't have had to repay you with these lands were it not for all those glorious campaigns. Oh, is that why I was exiled to these barren territories? He took her queen. So I was told. She replied, 
staring at the board. She took his knight. I wondered if he gave me these lands because he loathed my father who his father executed, or because he feared that a bastard son exiled for half a life to the cesspool of a far-off war might decide, upon his return, that his celebrated army was good for more than butchering the unfaithful. He took her bishop. She said nothing for a time, contemplating his words. So he set you upon us to save himself. She moved her remaining bishop into a position that jeopardized his queen and his king simultaneously. He moved his king and she took his queen. I hate you both. The duke said nothing, merely moving his rook forward to the only safe space it had left. Eleanor took her turn, and this time her bishop forced him to make an unpalatable choice between the rook and his king. The duke moved his king and his rook left the board. In two more moves she had him in checkmate. She stood up. How came you to be such a dismal player? You don't think ahead at all. I don't know why that surprises me. Care to play again tomorrow? He asked. You have bested me. That should please you. Eleanor shrugged. I will play if I can think of no better way to spend my time. The duke stared at the board. The girl played well, her mind always several moves ahead. Rational, reasoned, strategic and tactical. Nothing at all like the woman he knew her to be. What on earth was he to make of this creature? A sworn enemy who gave dresses to little girls and had tears to shed when she heard a kind word. A woman with the discipline required to starve herself until she lay on the border between life and death and yet completely without the guile required to hold her tongue, or even tell him honeyed lies, in the hope that she could strike him down later. Had she been whole she would have made a remarkable wife. But he could not forget the cruelty he had seen in the attacks on his people, nor the hate that lurked an inch beneath her skin. She could not be trusted could not be relied on. She was loyal to the brother who died, a man he had killed, and there was no way to turn back time. The next day Eleanor left her room before dawn. Without Mary beside her, her bed was cold. And she was tired of spending all day every day in her tower. Her adventure into the great hall the previous night had reminded her that a whole world existed outside. As she let herself down the ladder she found the guards in the room below hers still sleeping. As she exited the base of the structure she found the inner court still in darkness, and when she entered the great hall she found the duke's soldiers sleeping on benches and under tables. Here and there she saw a child, a woman, a dog in the bedlam on the floor. She found herself thinking that, having owned the keep for over a year, and with many other rooms in the castle to use, it was long past time for the duke's men to stop living as if they were still on campaign. She was more than a little surprised to find the duke asleep in the chair where she had left him the previous night. At rest he was an undeniably handsome man. Dark hair, broad shoulders, narrow hips, and long legs. His clothes were simple. Black breeches, boots, a linen shirt. Nothing set him apart from his men except that he was clean, clean-shaven, and his hair had recently been cropped short. Still it was clear, even in sleep, it was his nature to lead, to command. She left him sleeping after deciding, once again, she would not be able to kill him. His men would wake if she made the attempt and she would never be allowed to leave her tower again. As Eleanor explored the castle upstairs and down, she found a few locked doors, but most were standing open. When she looked inside she understood why so many slept in the great hall. Many of the rooms were damp from rain that poured through the roof. Many had walls that had broken down or floors that had fallen away. Eleanor had known that the keep had lain empty for well over two generations. 
It hadn't occurred to her that it would be falling down around the Duke's ears. Eventually Eleanor found herself in the kitchens. There she discovered Mary hard at work turning bread into little loaves. She worked standing on a stool beside a heavy-set woman with the same bright red hair. Eleanor assumed she must be Mary's mother. The kitchen was warm, the ovens already hot, so clearly they had been up for several hours. Do you need another pair of hands? Eleanor asked the stout woman manipulating the heavy dough with the ease of long practice. When the woman ignored her, Eleanor took her place beside Mary. Following the little girl's lead she began making identical loaves and laying them side by side. Mary spoke first. Look at her go mama. She's even faster than you. Eleanor shook her head. Hush Mary. I have only to fold the dough. It is all they would let me do at home. I'm a terrible cook and a worse baker. Mary's mother made no reply. Clearly she did not feel she could send Eleanor out of the kitchen, but just as clearly she wished Eleanor wasn't there. So, together they worked in silence until all the dough had been turned into loaves. Then Mary's mother began loading them into the fire. By this time, other women were coming into the kitchen to begin cooking the day's meals. Their stares and whispers made Eleanor feel as though she must have two heads. Eleanor left the room without a word to anyone. She could not help feeling homesick. Like Mary, she had grown up in the kitchens. Her mother had protested at first, but her father had permitted it on the grounds it might help her one day. Now she could only hope it made her useful in the convent. For lack of better occupation, Eleanor wandered into the stables. There she found dozens of horses, a half-dozen cows, mounds of fresh hay, and dozens of chickens nesting absolutely everywhere. Scattered in warm corners around the stables were boys of every age, some as young as four, others in the first growth of their beards. With the boys there were dogs of every breed and every age. Eleanor could only imagine this was how the Duke and his army had lived in the Holy Lands. Everyone ate, slept, and fought as a unit. They lived with their animals so they could protect them. They knew no better and so did not aspire to more. The contrast to the clean efficiency of her own home was startling. As she was leaving the stables she stopped at a stall that had been set apart from the others. The giant bay inside was several hands higher than every other horse in the stables. It was much heavier and it was built broader abreast as well. She realized she was looking at a true war horse. A creature meant for battle. Such an animal would obey no one but its master. Eleanor knew this magnificent creature must belong to the duke. Exiting the stables Eleanor walked toward the stone stairs that led up to the battlements. She wanted to look down on the grounds around the castle, to survey what had been done to the nearby fields. All she had seen the night of her arrival were the forests and glens they had ridden through, the creeks her cart had splashed across. Before she had reached the top step, she found herself facing a guard dressed in a leather jerkin. His sword was bare and when she would have moved past him he used it to bar her path. Am I not the chatlane of this castle? She demanded. I may walk where I will, may I not? The guard shook his head and used his blade to point down the stairs. Another soldier came to stand behind him. His expression was murderous. Without a word Eleanor backed down the stairs. At the bottom she looked through the castle gate. She could see the woods and the smoke from a small village a mile away. There was a heavy frost on the grass and it looked silver in the early morning light. As Eleanor returned to her tower it was clear to her that the duke and his men would be starving by midwinter. Eventually they would kill all the chickens, all the cows, and then begin on the horses. But that assumed there would be grain to feed the horses and the chickens when snow was heavy on the ground. That evening, 
Close on midnight, Eleanor returned to the Great Hall to find James sleeping in the Duke's chair before the fire. She looked about the room and found the Duke at a long trestled table in the corner. The chessboard before him was illuminated by a single candle. She approached and saw that he was studying a moment from the previous night's game. I expected to see you at dinner, since you spent the day out and about. He said without looking up. Your soldiers seem suspicious of me. I thought it wise to avoid them when they are massed. She moved to stand with her back against the wall. If you mean they will not let you wander the battlements looking for weaknesses, you must forgive them. He moved a piece. Let us have a new game. She said. There is no point dwelling on last night's failure. The Duke began to move the pieces into position without a word. He looked pensive. You are wondering if I found any deficiencies that could harm you in the months to come. She said as she mirrored his actions. Weaknesses, you mean? He slid aside to make room for her. The opposing bench had a sleeping man on it so she settled herself beside the Duke uncomfortably. It was strange to sit so close by a man she despised, hard not to notice that he smelled like lavender soap, that his clothes were newly washed, and his teeth were even and white. Or that he towered over her even when they sat. She must appear a white mouse beside him, all fair hair and pale skin, so small and thin as to disappear. I wonder if you would parley with a woman? She said, advancing her knight's pawn apace. She felt the duke's body shift and saw him open by moving his king's pawn forward. What on earth could you have to offer me that I don't already have? He asked as she moved her knight out. Information that could help you and your men survive the winter. She replied. And why would you give this information to me, hating me as you do? He advanced to Bishop. You have many things my people need, they too will have difficulty surviving this winter. The Duke turned his head to meet her eyes. You have no people. I know it is hard to believe, but you must accept it. He took her knight. She was silent for a long moment, wishing she could rise to the bait. By Easter, you two will have no people unless I help you. I can keep myself and my men well enough. Why do your men follow you when you are so arrogant and stupid? She asked, starting to stand up. He stopped her by laying a hand on her arm. He put another on her shoulder to press her firmly back into her seat. Do not walk away from me. I have not given you leave to go. He did not appear angry, but he did not release her until she relaxed into her seat. She advanced to pawn. He moved out a bishop, and she took it. If you do not tell me your plan, the people you left behind will suffer. If you tell me what you have in mind, I may decide to do as you ask. He advanced another pawn. So, I bargain with no assurances. As you wish. Though the next time I come to treat with you, I will demand more. You will know how important my advice can be. He waved his hand as he studied the board, brushing away her words. If you keep all these great lugs lying about before the first snowfall, then try to feed everyone throughout the winter, I don't see how anyone in the keep can survive. Get them out at dawn each day and have them scour the woods for game we consult. Get them out into the fields before the snow starts and have them start looking for grain. She stopped, waiting for him to speak. When he didn't, she went on. Further, many of the people on your lands are starving already. They are afraid to come to you for help. Send men to bring all you can find to the castle. Collect whatever livestock and grain they have in your keep. Put those who come here out into the woods and into the fields to collect firewood. You need all your resources in one place so you can defend and manage them. We have no room in the keep for hundreds of people, mostly women and children. We cannot provide them with shelter. 
they are better off in their homes. He moved a piece. Elizabeth ignored the board. Put soldiers and any men you collect to work building shelter. You have a stand of wood close by. What you build needn't do more than keep the warm in and the snow out for a single winter. Come spring they can have new homes. Women and children can build new homes. Your soldiers can build new homes. She pounded the table and rattled the pieces. Don't you see? You can't make war anymore. You can't keep an army here to defend your castle, because all your wealth lies outside its gates. Whoever lives on your estate, even just women and children, are important because they and your soldiers are all you have to work the land you have been granted. She took a breath, forced herself to speak more softly. Surely you understand what I am saying. What makes you think my men will do these things you ask? They are soldiers. They must do what you command. He was silent. She tried again. You have hundreds of women across your lands that do not have husbands. This war of yours has killed them. You say this war between us belongs to me alone? The duke brushed his hand against his mouth as if bidding it to be silent. Your men must be put to sheltering these women and their children. They must be about breeding you sons. Is that not why you brought them here? Is that not what you promised them? Peace and prosperity? I can tell you what to do, step by step if you don't understand. He was silent for a long moment. Then with great care he laid a hand on her arm and his other hand came behind her neck. His lips were careful as they brushed across hers. Her heart seemed to stop, she couldn't draw a breath. His touch was like fire, like the sun itself caressing her skin. His tongue explored her lips, parted them. His hand slid along her arm, came to her breast. She wanted him to stop, and yet she thought she would die when he did. When he drew away she stared at him in wonder. I don't believe I need hear more. What did you want in trade? The duke's eyes were unreadable pools. It took Eleanor time to find her voice. She wanted to lift her hand to his cheek, to feel his skin slide beneath her fingers, to touch his hair. There is a man, Alec. He is old and lame but very wise. He lives in a village close by my father's castle. I want you to find him and take him to my father. I want you to leave some of your men with him and tell them to follow his orders. My people deserve to survive as much as yours. The duke lowered his eyes as if he were thinking. Then he looked up at her and spoke carefully. You have no people. You must understand. What happens to anyone on either estate, for good or ill, is nothing you can control. Such matters are entirely in my keeping. His words were cruel, but he seemed intent on being kind. She returned to the task at hand. Will you do as I ask? Why should I not put my men at your father's service? Because my father has no head for such things. He is a man of letters and books. Surely you know this. He seemed a reasonable man, said the duke. He is very reasonable, and he makes well-considered decisions given enough time. But when immediate action must be taken, he is lost. Alec is a soldier. He served my father as steward for many years until he grew too old. But he will know what to do now. The duke nodded. Your father was fortunate, then, to have your brother to wage war against me. He seemed quite capable of making quick decisions. I remember thinking him brilliant upon occasion. Or was that Alec? Eleanor said nothing. Or was it you? He stood up, and put a foot on the bench beside her. There you are. My enemy. I wondered about you for so long. I knew it had to be someone who knew nothing of war. You never knew when to stop. We responded in kind to your attacks. Your aides. One for one. And you judge us? The duke laid a finger against her lips to silence her. 
She shoved his hand away, and her voice rose. She heard men stir around them. I care for every man woman and child on my lands. I know them all by name. Can you say the same? She flew back from the table when he tried to take her arm. Have a care. The duke warned her. How many of your people will die this winter if you don't trouble to feed them? How many of these men here? Only to spite me. Eleanor swept all the chess pieces off the board and onto the floor. By this time every man in the room was wide awake and some were rising. This is no game we play. I do not need your help to protect my men. The duke took her by the arm and thrust her ahead of him, shoving her out of the great hall into the passage that led to the kitchen. He put her back against the wall and his hand over her mouth when she tried to speak. Never question my right to lead. I would have to kill any man who spoke as you just did. His soft voice belied his harsh actions. He acted as though he were rebuking a child. And don't tell me you don't care if I kill you. He said. I am past believing it. You care too much about all those you would leave behind. You will leave and shut your mouth to save them. Eleanor bit back her words of reproach, swallowed her pride. I was wrong. She managed to say. I am sorry. Will you do as I suggest? The duke studied her for a moment as if he doubted her sincerity. Then he shrugged and answered her. I will consider the plan of action you have described. In any case, I and a detachment of my men will leave tomorrow, and it will be several weeks before we return. You are to stay out of trouble while I am gone. You will remember that you are my wife in name only and that you are unrebound. We made a pact that protects those you say you love. Do you understand? You will obey Alan's instructions as you would mine or you will be among the many who pay a steep price. I have no quarrel with Alan, said Eleanor. She felt no obligation to be subservient to anyone holding her captive while conniving to steal her estate, but this was hardly the time to bring that up. While Alan serves my purpose, I shall happily serve him. The duke shook his head. I mean exactly what I say, my lady. Try me and you will very much regret it. Then the duke disappeared into the darkness of the hall, leaving Eleanor to make her own way back to her bed. A Woman's Honor by Andrea Stewart Voice recording copyright 2019 by Nancy Fulton. All rights reserved. Music by Pavel Kanzenkov licensed from Pond5. For more daring love stories, please visit dark-romance.com.